We hear once again the words of Acts chapter 2 and verse 12. It's the response of those who have witnessed the sending of the Spirit as it has descended upon the apostles and the 120 who were gathered. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, ten days after the ascension and fifty days after the resurrection, another event in the drama of salvation history takes place. That event we confess to be Pentecost. Before his departure, the Savior had promised rich provisions to his disciples, and even before he was crucified, our Lord prepared them for the coming of the Holy Spirit, till the Holy Spirit would be sent, and through him Jesus would ever be present. Together with the Father, through the Spirit, Christ would permanently dwell in the hearts of his disciples. The work of the Holy Spirit, as we will also hear this afternoon, was to be a divine teacher, a divine helper, counselor, and a divine homemaker. The Holy Spirit would make our hearts a home suitable for the indwelling of God. In all of this, the Christian believer receives, oh, so many blessings. And who here would disagree that the promise of this constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a blessed encouragement and a strengthening comfort? Jesus was faithful to his promise as he is to all his promises. The Holy Spirit descended upon his, his followers in a mighty way. And our scripture lesson describes this most wonderful event as a time of wonder, yes, also confusion for those who were gathered in Jerusalem. For on that great day of Pentecost, everybody was asking, what is the meaning of this? Whatever could this mean? This is indeed a fundamental and significant question. Because in the history of salvation, in Pentecost, there is once again something new. There is an event on the stage of world history that dramatically changes the course of history. Just as the ministry of Christ from his birth to his death, resurrection and ascension forever altered the course of history, Pentecost too spectacularly transforms the pathway of whatever follows. And to begin with, we must say Pentecost is first and foremost to be interpreted as a work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the unfolding of salvation history. And it is in the same way that the Acts of the Apostles must be interpreted. The book of Acts is more 
then the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Luke makes it clear in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 that this book is filled with the things that the Lord Jesus continues to do through his apostles. The act of the Lord Jesus giving the Spirit to the church is what we might call a new phase of his ministry. And its unique character corresponds to the Lord's conception, to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, to his ascension, and yes, to his future return. The first phase was his birth and the time of preparation in which Jesus grew in wisdom and favor. Then came the time of our Lord's public ministry. That ministry came to a close at the ascension in which Jesus began a new ministry, the ministry of intercession at the right hand of the Father. And Pentecost is then a day that teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. We see what the exalted Lord our Savior, our Redeemer, is now doing in the continuation of His redemptive purposes. This is the, for, this is the foremost point, and this point cannot be stressed enough. What we experience because of Pentecost, as crucial as that is, indeed, this must moment must be of great significance to us. It, it is secondary. We cannot reviews, reverse the order of our understanding. Christians who ask, what does Pentecost mean for me, needs first of all to ask, what does the Lord accomplish with the sending of the Holy Spirit? And in answering that question, in answering the question, whatever can this mean? We will be drawn to five points that will better help us understand the significance of Pentecost and what it is that the Lord sets in motion through Pentecost. The first point. The first point of Pentecost is that the coming of the Holy Spirit marks a new community of grace. Marks a new community of grace. Before the day of Pentecost arrived, there were about 120 believers gathered, praying as the Lord had commanded them for this day to come. We ask now, why the number 120? What is the significance of this? The reason 120 is significant is that 120 is the necessary number in the Jewish world for a community to arise that could be constituted as a recognized community with its own governments. On Pentecost, then, Jesus was declaring that his church was now constituted. He was bringing into being a radical new community. Never before. And nothing since has compared or will compare to the community which is instituted and governed by the leading of the Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God. The first event that takes place, the first sign, is the sound of a, 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 the blowing of a violent wind 
from heaven. What does this mean? Why, it is a reminder, a sign that can be tied back to the original creation. No doubt all of us here are familiar with the account of Genesis chapter 1. And here we read of a powerful spirit blowing across the expanse, bringing light out of darkness, fullness out of emptiness. And now in this moment, creation is taking place again. The New Testament church is being formed, a new community formed by the spirit of the resurrected Christ. It is nothing less than the beginning of the new creation. Pentecost brings the beginning of the end. Uh, Pentecost puts God's people on the road to the new creation. Pentecost for the Jews was a celebration of first fruits, a harvest feast. But now, Pentecost becomes the celebration of the first fruits of the restoration of creation and the first fruits of, of faith in the hearts of God's people. Through this little community that would soon grow by the thousands and is still growing today, perhaps not so much in our own setting and culture, but certainly in various places across the face of the globe, the church continues to grow. Jesus Christ, in the context of the fallen creation, is giving the Spirit of God, and he does so in order to bring this, this new community, of which we are a part of, marked by his resurrection power and presence, giving this new world order. Jesus Christ is building his church and is doing so through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit, the instrumentality of the God-breathed, the inspired, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And clearly, congregation, that means that even though you and I, we are still sinners, those who, who truly believe are, are no longer ordinary men and women. For we belong to a new Adam, a new race, a new order. The second point. The second point of Pentecost is that the new covenant the new covenant takes effect. Jesus, you remember, in the Last Supper, instituted the new covenant. The wind and the fire of Pentecost remind us of the wind and the fire that once shook Mount Sinai. By reminder of the signs that accompanied the old covenant, the new covenant is being forged into the lives of this new community. And Christ does it through the gift of his own spirits given graciously to the church. On Mount Sinai, Moses ascended into the mountain and brought down the tablets of stone with law that could not be kept. 
Now our Lord Jesus Christ, who only ten days ago had ascended into the presence of God, sends the Spirit in return so that the law of God can be written not on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of men and women. Oh, oh, what a glorious new covenant. The church can never be the same again. Because it is not Moses who has ascended, but our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, Defender, and Friend, who comes again by means of his spirits. And he does so that we might be that community that walks by the spirits in the joy of God's covenant promise. We ought never forget, congregation, that the law and the Spirit are friends in Christ. The law and the gospel are not polar opposites. In the new covenant, we love the law and desire to live by the law because it is a sign of God's grace working in our lives. It is a sign of our love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Of course, we are not talking about a legalistic observation of the law, law for the sake of law, but rather that desire to live unto Christ and the fellowship of his people in all that we are called to be and do for his glory, for his praise. Yes, to be sure, we are fraught with our weakness. We fail in our homes, in our marriages, in church life, in our daily witness. The stain of sin is, is marked by what we touch. And yet we know that with Christ's forgiveness, we might begin each day anew, day by day, doing the things that please the triune God. That's why we speak for, of the need for daily repentance, knowing that the work of repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. Knowing when we consciously uh, fight against sin, that the Holy Spirit is at work. That the Holy Spirit is at work. The third point, the third point of Pentecost is the reversal of the judgment of Babel. The reversal of the judgment of Babel. Also the boys and girls amongst us this morning well remember that time when man thought he could build that tower that, that reached high into the heavens in order to make a name for himself. And you remember how these builders in their immense pride thought that they could lift themselves upward in order to pull God downward. Instead, God visited him win judgment and confuse their speech. He sends tongues so that they will not understand each other. People thought amongst themselves as they heard these strange new sounds, whatever could this mean? This was nothing but babble as far as they were concerned. That, that same question 
existed long before at the Tower of Babel. But now at Pentecost, Babel is, is reversed. The Lord Jesus comes down not in, jud in the judgment of Babel, in the tongues of babbling, but in grace that brings the single word of truth to all tongues. That word that brings unity, that word that brings the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of grace and peace. Not tongues of confusion that no one understands, but a tongue that speaks the message of life, the good news of Jesus Christ. The disciples find themselves speaking in other tongues from all over the ancient world, and we could hear that list of, of people from various places hearing a word spoken. And it is understood by the multitudes who had come from the east and the west, the north and the south. The one message of the gospel, the wonderful works of God might be heard by all, each in his own tongue. Language is the vehicle of communication, which for each person is his native tongue. When the alien residents of Jerusalem hear the language they learned in the country they were born and reared, they are utterly amazed. Linguistic barriers that would have made communication impossible are torn down. The crowd detects that, that the speakers are not foreigners but Galileans, perhaps recognized by some as followers of Jesus. Or their accent gave them away, their particular dress perhaps. In the eyes of the Jews in Jerusalem, Galilee was a culturally backward area of Palestine and inhabited by an uneducated people. Yet these, these simple Galileans, they communicated the gospel, the God's truth, in numerous languages. How can it be? And then we may rejoice to confess that God's word of grace, God's saving message is not bound to one people or one language, but is set before them all. There are no distinctions. We remember the words of Galatians 3 and 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Babel destroyed and disunited the gospel recreates, the gospel reunites there are two further aspects concerning the reversal of Babel that we need to see. The first lies in the fact in the giving of the Spirit there is in addition to the unifying of God's people a, an opening of the gospel message beyond the Jewish nation. Now the foreigners might and must be included in the gospel invitation. 
Before, in the record of salvation history, the focus was on one nation. Now the foreigners are also invited to the inclusion of the gospel. And we speak of many nations. And we know that in God's kingdom that there will will be when that kingdom comes to its fullest fruition. Those from every tribe, language, and nation. And the second aspect in connection with this builds upon the first. And it is this. Pentecost is the first indication of the divine mission that will bring the gospels, the gospel to the Gentiles. It is vital, it is vital if we are to understand Pentecost and the gospel for that matter, that we understand that we have a missionary Savior sent by a missionary God. Through Jesus, the nations would find blessing. Certainly, it's an encouragement to read in your bulletin that Reverend Bedard will be in your midst shortly to speak of these very things in that French-speaking province of Quebec. The Lord will sprinkle many nations, Isaiah prophesied. Jesus preached that the meek would inherit the earth. And he declared that all authority has been given to him, and therefore we are to go and make disciples of all the nations. Yes, this is what was begun on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is nothing less than the opening of the mission of God. Pentecost is an evangelistic event. It is the birth of the Gentile mission with the language of the gospel. Babel has been destroyed. The fourth point of Pentecost is the end of the old dispensation. The end of the old dispensation. When Peter delivered his sermon, which we find in the continuing portion of Acts chapter 2, the word of truth teaches that the signs evident at Pentecost are signs that the last days have begun. The old dispensation is gone. The apostle quotes from the prophet Joel, for he wants the Jewish people to understand that the Mosaic administration has come to a close. He wants them to understand that it has but the scaffolding, the scaffolding to support the building. And that scaffolding now no longer is needed for the structure. For this is a new age. Now someone might ask, what is the difference? And then we may answer, everything. Everything. Before, the true believer could only long for the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, each believer might receive the Spirit personally. In the Old Testament, the, the Spirit was given in a measured way to the prophets, to some of the kings. There are special instances mentioned here and there in the Old Testament but in the last days, 
God says he will pour out his spirit. And so he does. And it is poured out not only on the Jews, but to every language group. And now all those who are Christ's might indeed become prophets, priests, and kings. In the old dispensation, only a select few stood in the presence of God and shared in the secrets of his kingdom. But now in Pentecost, what is given to a few is now given to many in order that we might know the Lord and serve him prophetically, confessing his name, priests, sacrificially giving of ourselves to his service, and as kings fighting against sin, anticipating the fullness of Christ's rule and reign. Moses, in a prophetic sigh, in a prophetic sigh in Numbers 11 and 29, asked, would that all the Lord's people would be prophets. And with Pentecost, his prayer is fulfilled. Yes, this is, is the glory of the new dispensation. By the Spirit, we might be anointed to confess our Savior's name, to present ourselves to Christ as living sacrifices of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Oh, what blessing is ours to live in this new dispensation. Oh, what blessing is ours to again celebrate together, congregationally, Pentecost, and then to, to live out of this Pentecost power. We move on to the fifth point. The fifth point, namely the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this we might say, is that the crown, the crown of Pentecost, that Jesus is recognized as exalted Lord and King. The giving of the Spirit is the public indication to believers that Jesus is, is glorified at the right hand, the right hand of the Father. And as the Spirit falls, Jesus is lifted high. As Peter would preach, this one whom you crucified is, 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 is now raised and exalted to the right hand and is now pouring out the spirits. In Pentecost, we have the celebration of the crowning of a king. Ten days ago was ascension when Jesus took his march to the royal throne. And now, and now, the recognition of that crown when a new monarch is crowned in Great Britain, gifts are given to all. A token, we might say. They, they mark the beginning of the reign. But these gifts are only temporary, a one-time gesture. Pentecost is different. The pouring out of, of spiritual gifts is not a one-time act. It, it is ongoing. Just as Calvary is a one for all event that has ongoing effects. 
Similarly, Pentecost is a once-for-all event that, that continues to, to affect each and every believer to this very place, to this very hour. Let us not forget that, that all the events of redemptive history have a, a very personal application. We do not understand the redemptive history without the personal effect that it, it is to have on each believer. Let us remember that we are not saved through redemptive history, but through the finished work of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ. That's what redemptive history speaks of. Pentecost, then, is not an isolated event in time and space, all just written back on the pages of a history. It is power. And the power of our Lord goes on. That power may be evident also in the church here in this place. The coming of the Spirit means that we live in this new age, that we live in the knowledge of Christ's power and the power of the Spirit in His divine mission occurs again and again when we learn to submit in faith and by grace to Christ's Lordship. When we learn again and again to adore the God who has made us when we learn again and again to praise the God whose hand we are in, our times in His hand. Men were filled with power and spoke boldly. Thousands were added to the kingdom. Great multitudes received Christ in Pentecost. Things happen for you and me too. It is impossible to come to Christ without the power of Pentecost in our hearts. And it is that power that is not simply limited to that day of Pentecost, but goes forth in the life of God's people, in the life of His church from age to age. Jesus has promised to be with us to the end of the age. And while we, we can't have a, a, another Pentecost, that happened that one time, we do daily need the power of Pentecost, and we need to pray for that power and to desire it, the strength. May God so grant it, so that also the nations today, and oh, how does our nation not need this power, that our nation might come once again to a saving knowledge of our blessed Redeemer, that our nation might return to its Christian heritage, and that we might live out of that power to be found faithful to our callings. We are living in the last days, and day by day the, day, the time is shorter. The end is pressing in. But the same Spirit poured on that great day of Pentecost, continues to magnify Christ. The same Spirit works in our hearts to bring us to Christ. The same Spirit testifies to the glories of God's wondrous grace. He 
who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Amen. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit sent from heaven above, shows us the way of truth and love. The promised one dwells in our hearts. He, light and life, to us imparts.